Hello, I'm Tim Marlowe, Artistic Director of the Royal Academy of Arts, and this event was part of the Festival of Ideas, an inspiring lineup of talks and debates with innovators from across the arts, brought to you from the new Benjamin West Lecture Theatre. Enjoy the podcast. Bright lights, aren't they? Last time we talked at the Royal Academy, we got stuck in a lift. You were very unflustered. I was quite irate. And um, it meant that my starting question was about you meeting Salvador Dali in a lift. Uh, I don't know if you just heard, but the, the, the event before this one was about class and creativity in Britain. Um, your background, where you grew up in the East End, what, when did it become apparent, or did it ever become apparent until after it had happened, that you could have a career creatively? No, I didn't, even, didn't know there was a thing called art school. It was a Jewish guy, a mate of mine, called Charlie Papier, who was a French Jew, and he sort of been to art school, and we didn't know what art school was. I met him, he was a window dresser at Wickham's, which is a store in Stepney, and uh, he was the uh, window dresser. And he said he went to art school. And I said, we said, I didn't understand. I said, what, you, you, they teach you art? And it just seems such a strange concept that someone should teach art, because it's kind of useless in a way, if you're being practical. And uh, that's the first time I knew about art school. He called me a punk. About 30 years ahead of the movement. Well, yeah, he got it right. And... Um, you've said on a number of occasions that Picasso was your first I- inspiration. What, what age and how did... I mean? What, I don't what was remember what Picasso? age. It was, must have been before I was 18, because I used to have a... Everyone had titbits, you know, pictures of girls on their billet walls, and I had a Picasso, I think one of his uh, Spanish things. Uh, I forget the series, what it was called. Dora Ma, I think it was. Yeah, Dora Ma, yeah. That was also, maybe it was Charlie Papier. Maybe he suggested when I was about 16, Picasso was quite important. And then really, I fell in love with Picasso. And he's, um, I suppose the only two people I've ever listened to is Picasso and Bob Dylan. But uh, I figured I've got two good ones. Uh, so that's, that's a bit boring, isn't it? But that's why I like Picasso. I think we'll be the judge of that, Bailey. That's okay. So, did you ever meet Picasso? Did you first? No, I could have a couple of times with French folk. I didn't want to. I was a bit scared, actually. Uh, not nervous, in fact. And I, John Hewson had been a, I'd been a fan of John Hewson since I was about 10 or something, because my mother was, she used to love cinema. That's all there was to do in the East End, really. We used to go sometimes, I think it's not an exaggeration to say we used to go like seven times a week to cinema, because I used to go Saturday morning, you know, we come along. On Saturday morning, greeting everybody with a smile. <laughs> what is it about me? Gilbert and George sang two nights ago. There's something, there's something in the water, I think. That was great, though. Carry on. Oh, no, I don't know the rest of the words. <laughs> <laughs> He's a king. He's a king. You don't meet many kings in your life, but I met a king. Yeah, he, we can see the monitor of that. But anyway, so, so the seven, seven days a week cinema. So how much was your, as your visual language? Cinema was the, was the first yeah, visual thing you took completely. Notice. Remember, I'm dyslectic. Uh, it's a nightmare for me to read a book. I mean, Catherine reads a book in two, two days. I take, I don't know, 
least three months to read a book. It's really difficult. Because uh, I see everything in, 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 in pictures. When you, when you say something, I don't... That's why I was good at making commercials, I guess, because I've made a, over a thousand commercials, I think. But the commercials... I made more money from commercials than I did from photography. But... Uh, uh, because I could look at a script and I could see it immediately because people used to say to me, where do you put the camera to start with? I said, well, where, you, where it's right. So you, you'll find out on the day when we do it. That makes people nervous, especially those, <laughs> <laughs> those mad men, whatever they're called. They were terrible, by the way. We, what, the series or the... the no, the mad men, you know, the, the advertising yeah. thing, yeah. It's very strange. It's like talking to no one, isn't it? <laughs> But, but no one who laughs. I can't see a thing. No, it's laughing nobody. <laughs> so without um, taking you through your entire career chronologically, which I really don't want to do, but th this, this idea about how you break through. I mean, you, you, you broke through as a commercial photographer, fashion, and certainly for the first decade of your career in the 60s, that was what you became known for. Although I have a theory, and I'll share it later, about how it was always portraiture in a, in, in a sense. But how well, it, did... was, it was, it yeah. was. I always used the same girls. I didn't jump around. I mean, I worked with Jean first and then Sue Murray, and I, I didn't like to use other girls. I, I didn't, I mean, bed. <laughs> yeah, that's you with the Picasso. That's yeah. What, this is you and National yeah. Service, exactly. Yeah, that's in that's Singapore, I think, yeah. But, um, so, the, the, the models that you, you, the, that you photographed, who were there to sell clothes, but they, they became what? But personalities, that their features became things you were familiar with, you were portraying them as individuals, you were portraying them as neutral models for the clothes. I mean, how did that work? You've said it all. What do you want me to repeat your question? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That's not a question. It's not. <laughs> oh, God, I... Yeah. We've it's, seen that, we've seen that. I know we have. <laughs> you know, it's been a long weekend, Benny, give us a break. No. Okay. <laughs> no, okay. As so, your leg, all right, he's got a dodgy knee. Yeah, I, I do. Um, the, <laughs> the, the, you, you, you were very, you've been very um, specific and quite hard-hitting about the fashion world, the world that oh, was controlled by the editors. No, but, but, but in the early 60s, is it fundamentally different now to the way it was then? Is it still no, controlled by the same No, it's always a bit people? ridiculous. A bit like the art world is a bit ridiculous. Sure, it is, yeah. Uh, it's all wandering, it's all talk, isn't it? People talk more than they do. I mean, uh, you're in the talking business anyway. You've got to be good at dialogue and... Uh, got to be erudite and quick and... But it's really probably in the end, it's more about the art world than artists, the art world. It's not really about artists, it's about all the periphery around it, isn't it? It's like fashion world. Yeah, it's not about, about fabric and all sorts of other things that you never think about. They're going to get bored, and we've seen that one as well. Do you know what? They think I've only done 10 pictures in my life. <laughs> Sorry, but it, if I do that, it won't distract you, and then you've no idea what everyone's looking at behind. No, but they're getting up to leave already. They've seen that. They've seen that one. It's like when we went to cinema. We used to go all the time. We'd go about five o'clock in the evening, and then you'd sit through and see a film twice because they just ran the films. They used to have an A film and a B film, and uh, it was cheaper to go to the cinema 
than putting shilling in the gas. You know, you never found, shillings were the most rarest coins in the world because everyone hoarded them because they wanted a shilling for the gas to keep warm. So it was cheaper to go to the cinema than it was to put shillings in the gas. Anyways. So you saw it on rotation, yeah? Yeah, yeah. Um. Best years of our lives, I saw about... That, that was the first film that... Who, who, who was that famous director, wasn't it? Uh, best years of our life, and the bloke had a hook. He, he was a, a, a war hero, and he played one of the leading roles. But they had, that was the first film I ever saw that had an interlude. I didn't know what an interlude was, but it was... They stopped... Hello. <laughs> Who's that? No, he's sneaking. <laughs> it's, it's either a child or a lamb. <laughs> well, it, it, it could be the president of the Royal Academy. Do it again. <laughs> it's a sound man in this very echoey room. How you said that you know seeing your own work on rotation is obviously irritated you. Well, already. six images, yeah, it yeah, gets yeah. a bit boring. Well, yeah. um, how, how does... The various exhibitions looking back over your work... Oh, yeah, you said I had two. They're the only two exhibitions I've ever had. All you, think, all you people think I'm so great. I've had two. One at the Royal Academy in 1970 and one at the Royal Academy recently. No, the, the Not the Royal Academy, National, National Portrait. Portrait. It was the same well, Yeah, but I did make the point they... <laughs> I, I did make the point they toured, and respectfully, I remember seeing a show of you that you did with Damien in Gagosian, so that would be a third. But that's not a, that's not a government, that's not a, that's a private thing, isn't it? It's sort of, it's not a proper... Right, so, so to rephrase then, you've only had two shows funded by the government, but they happen to tour to multiple ben venues, that's, we agree with that. Yeah, they've travelled. So is publishing 45 books your way of controlling how your work is seen? No, it's my it? diary. I think in pictures because being dyslexic, that's how you see it. It's easy for me. It's, it's, uh, when I say it's common sense, it's common sense because I see the picture before I take it. So I, that's why I was good at commercials because then I'd make a, pin, uh, make a storyboard with pin men, sort of Picasso pin men. I mean, people used to like my drawings of the pin men better than they like my film. <laughs> it's quite good. And uh, yeah. How do you use your early work? I mean, do you. Do you do you, I, don't, I, I certainly know you don't study it, but are you conscious? Do you try and have to just forget about what you've done before each time you take a picture? Is it like starting afresh, or are you always conscious of what you've done and building on a kind of visual language? I don't really think about it, to be honest. It's, uh, it's what I do. I, I figure it's better than working as a tailor in Hackney, which I did for a bit, although I wasn't a tailor. I was a, anyway, it's another story. Was there a, bre a lucky break you got that, that got you into the fashion world, or was it Yeah, it was Three Gays and a Jew. Three Gays and a Jew. This sounds yeah. like a Richard um, Curtis film. Let's, let's explore that. Uh, well, the Jew was Charlie Papier, because yes. he turned me on to Picasso. And the Three Gays was John French. Photographer. Yeah. Uncle Artie, who was my mother's brother, who I shared a room with. And he was gay, which my dad had a problem with, which has always caused problems. He didn't know the difference between homosexuality and paedophile. So, but uh, I liked Hartie because he taught me lots of things. He, taught, he bought me my first broke shoes. And he bought me Frank Sinatra when I was about eight, singing Stormy Weather, which was fantastic. That was my first connection with the blues. He travelled a lot, didn't he? Yeah, he was a sailor. He travelled a lot. <laughs> 
and gave you an interest in travel that we'll pick up on a bit later. Yeah, he used to bring back Maori records from where Maori's in New Zealand. Yep. And uh, all sorts of things. He used to bring back these incredible shawls from Malta for my mum. You know, they were like, I don't know, they were kind of sinister in a way. They were black and white and uh, she looked like Winnie the Witch when she put one on. And the third? Gay? Gay. John French. Artie. Artie and John Parsons. Or maybe, yeah. And Charlie Pappy was the Jew. Yeah. yeah. And John Parsons was involved in the commissioning? Yeah, he was the gay art director of, uh, he was a junkie actually, he died. But he was the art director at British Folk. But they had much more say than they do now in those days. Now it's all corporate. I mean, it's all gone. And he gave you, a, he commissioned you. Um, yeah, he made me sign a contract, which I didn't, I shouldn't have done. And you were still trying to unravel yourself from that 30, 40 years later? Well, there's nobody else to work for. It's sort of blackmail. Either you sign a contract or you don't work for us. That was it. And was that class whole, or was that just the arrogance of a big corporation? It's like the arrogance of a big corporation, but it's also class as well, because I'd only, I'd worked in the East End since I was 15. And then when I was 18, I went in the Air Force for two years and then came out of the Air Force and six months later I was at Vogue. So I didn't know what contracts were. It was just, I thought that's what they did. We, it's, it's, it's amusing and it's a nice reduction, you know, a Jew and, th and three gays. But of course, they were outsiders. You as a white working class kid from the East End You're of London. You're a smart ass. you got it right on the ball. Because yeah. we're all outsiders. Yeah. Yeah. And, but were you conscious of that? Was it, no, was it, not really. But it's complicit, I mean, yeah, yeah, subconsciously, probably you were conscious. You know, you probably know everything from the age of 10. And, you know. So... In a sense, that's why you had to get the break, apart from the fact you're also a good-looking young man, which we've, we've seen, like, not a few pointed, but anyway, you're lying on your bed. Yeah, I've, your seen your, I've seen your picture of, that I took of me, a really horrible picture. But at least it shows I'm not conceited. <laughs> 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 so, you've you mentioned Uncle Artie, and I want to talk later about... Artie, it's a good name, his real name was Arthur. Uh, yeah, I guess that, yeah. And, um... He used to get pissed, he used to come home late at night, and... Uh, our toilet was outside, you know, in the garden. And I used to get pissed, and I used to climb over my bed and have a piss out the garden. <laughs> out the window. And he used to piss on top of the outside toilet, which I thought was all equally funny. Is it raining? No, it's hearty pissing. <laughs> well... There's not really a follow-up question to that. I was about to say... And the toilet door never up? closed, never yeah. closed. So it's freezing in, because it, the, 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 when you did anything, it was just, hello, you got trouble with sound. When it, hello, it's when you go down. Uh, I, I don't think Benji thought you were going to be doing a demonstration of pissing outside in the winter. Well, I was, actually, in anyway. a way, because it they didn't, it used, to, it used to plop on the ice. Anyway, uh, and you could read the newspaper, because that was a toilet paper, like yesterday's Daily Mirror. And... Uh, and I remember I used to look at the stars, a bit like Oscar Wilde looking out the, up from the gutter. And uh, I used to sit there freezing, looking at the stars. Yeah. And now, or for the last 40 years in your life, you've been able to be in the comfort of a warm studio and look at the stars through the gaze of a camera. Lens. Yeah, well, you've got a new toilet. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm going to forget trying to link things on. I'll just ask the next question. No, the... The travel, which Artie instilled into you, but 
National service, you were in what was then Mal Malaya, but Malaysia now, yeah. and Singapore. Yeah. You got your first camera on that trip. I mean, no, no, I didn't. I used to have my mum's brownie before sorry, that. that's true, yeah, but that you bought your own on that Yeah, trip, yeah, yeah, they were like, you get, you know, a packet of cigarettes or a camera, because it was tax-free state, Singapore. And did you think then that this is what I want to do? Or Yeah, yeah. I've still got my pawn tickets, Chinese pawn tickets. They're great. And... Uh, because I never had money to buy film, because you only got 24 shillings a week. Can you imagine? That's what you two got pounds, paid a week. Two pounds in today's money, though. Is that, is that, that much? Yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, Actually, no, it's not. Sorry, no, it's not. It's, not, it's, it's, shilling, it's 20 shillings a pound, yeah. It's yeah. One pound 20, sorry. I thought so. Anyway, you're, you're the educated one. <laughs> <laughs> Evidently a waste of money, yeah. Anyway. <laughs> now, now I've lost my trade. Oh, yeah, we're in Singapore. We're in the National Service. And so did, um, did, did fashion photography seem a means to an end to give you freedom to be able to do what you wanted to do? I didn't know there was any other kind of photography because my mother used to get woman, woman's own. And I used to see pictures in there before I went in the Air Force and... I thought that was, I didn't know, I didn't know there was, I didn't know what Vogue was, Vogue phoned me up and said, do you want to come and work for us? And I said, how much? And they said, £25 a week. I said, no thanks, woman's own pay me more already. So I didn't want to, I didn't see any point, because I just thought it was taking pictures of frocks. I didn't think of anything artistic or anything. It wasn't until you around all those pretentious people that you start to get pretentious. Yeah. People who worked with you, Gene Shrimpton, Marianne Faithful in a different way. They always speak incredibly affectionately and respectfully of you, but it is known that you are a no-nonsense sort of individual, which we can see tonight. Do you think you could have been the photographer you were in the 60s now as a young photographer, or has culture changed, that you actually can't be as bullish or as straight up as you were then? Culture's rubbish now. I hate political correctness. It's, uh, it's the worst evil of my life, I think, political correctness. I mean, especially all that sort of... Imagine a photographer in New York. He gets accused of something. He didn't get taken to court. He just gets accused of something and immediately Vogue won't use him. And, Vogue, and all the big companies follow what Vogue do. Nobody uses him. So his career is completely finished. Even if he did do it and was found guilty, the punishment wouldn't be as bad as he's already got. See what I'm saying? Yeah. It's, it's horrendous, the situation. I hate the world today. I think it's awful all the political connectness and, oh, you've got to keep, be careful what you say and you can't tell the truth. And everyone's become a liar because they're telling you what you want to hear rather than what, what, what you're actually thinking because you can't tell the truth because if you tell the truth, you end up in Nick. But you've never... Someone's got a great clap over there. I watch you at every show we ever do. <laughs> <laughs> Why? You, you do something butch with your hands. Music. What? Music. Music. Oh, good. What, you're a guitarist? Yeah. Great. Do you want to come and take it? It would make my life a lot happier and easier if you do. But I think it's... Well, you clearly struck a chord. Sorry, that was not a pun intended. <laughs> <laughs> You clearly have struck a, a chord. But it seems to me that you've almost never had to compromise, except that people always talk about creativity as, in some ways, you know, Beckett's idea about failing better. Who? Or, 
Samuel Beckett had an idea. Oh, that I thought you meant all, David Beckett. No, no, it was all about <laughs> failing better. Do you, did, do you feel, on reflection, that some of the work you had to do for commercials and for commissioned fashion photography was compromised and that's not a problem because that's what it had to be? Or did you, have no. you always done things on your own terms? Always, this is true, I always did it on my own terms. I mean, it's, uh, I've lost a lot of work. But I feel, uh, no, if, if I don't think it worked, like commercials, they used to bring me a script and they'd say, can you do this? I say, yeah, but it won't make a good commercial. I can make it look pretty for you and it'd be a charming commercial, but it won't sell your product. And so I used to argue with them and then they usually came round to my way of thinking because the whole point of making a commercial is to sell the product. Otherwise, you're just making pretty films for, for nobody. To win an art director's award. It's the last thing in the world I won. Sorry, art directors. <laughs> I could come up with a list of things you want less, but that's, I, that's a figure of speech. I can see why you, you would say that. What about when you travel then? So you go to, I mean... Nagaland most recently, but Papua New Guinea was one of the first major trips you undertook as an yeah. independent photographer to make photographs for you that were then exhibited or shown in, a, in, a, in the first of the books. Your method, presumably, has to be different. You, you become a, a sort of anthropologist, but also a kind of diplomat. So you need access, don't you? No, but you don't, you don't, I don't want to go somewhere where, where there's 700 German tourists or French tourists there. I only want to, there's nowhere left to go. Nagaland's the last place I can think of. I mean, that, that uh, New Guinea thing. First I went, it was Polaroid. There was a man who was the head of Polaroid called Wolf, you know, a German guy, nice guy. And he said, let's take the S, I'll give you the film, an SX-70, and do it on the primitive people with the most sophisticated camera. I said, oh, that's a good idea. So I went to, to up the Amazon, and we found the tribes, but they're all wearing Levi's. <laughs> so I said, the point this. So I said, we've got to find somewhere where they don't wear Levi's. And New Guinea was the place. And now it's probably, it's very dangerous. It was dangerous then, it's dangerous This was now. 70, but there were still headhunters in 70. Yeah, well, there was head, still headhunters in the Naga Hills. We found, we, we, the book was originally, I don't know what the book was called now, but anyway, it was originally called... Uh, Oh, the Naga Hills, but it was called something else. But we went to find the last of the headhunters, and we found one guy that still had about 75 skulls. So it's still, still probably happening in, you know, far out places. But the Naga Hills, we only saw one European the whole time we were there. And she was an American publisher. I ought to tell everyone that this was only about... Nobody here knows where the Naga Hills is. Does anyone know where the Naga Hills is? It's on the border with Burma, isn't it, in northeast? Yeah, India. but nobody knows it. It's kind of the last one of the last places in the world. It's quite dangerous. There's well, lots of bandits. Just let me explain that this was something that came from Kipling, a, a phrase in a Kipling book, but Bailey was only able to go there about four years ago. And wasn't it, it's something like four or five days to get there from London. Yeah, no, it's difficult. It's easier now. But it's not, it's, it's, we couldn't get out. Getting out was harder because all the... All the uh, Airports had the army, tanks all around them, so we had to drive into Aswan. We had to drive about 500 miles to an airport that didn't have, wasn't closed by the military. And, and uh, when you take a portrait, I mean, I've experienced this, you, you, there's a sense of you knowing what, what you're trying to get. I mean, you, won't, you wouldn't be described, able to describe it formulaically, but you'll know when you've got, probably got the right image. How is it when you're going in, into the Nargales, you're visiting different groups of people. Is it just a question of taking what you can get and then seeing how it is later? 
you've selected what you take, but it's all you have to. You can't. You're not going to get somebody's soul, or you know, it's not like uh, a bit like photographing actors because they already are. They're already playing a part. So you don't know if you're photographing Lassie or Laurence Olivier. It's, it's a sort of toss-up, isn't it? Who are you, who are you today, Lassie or, or uh, James Bond? <laughs> so that's, the actors are the most difficult to photograph because you never know who you're photographing. But it's different because. The people in New Guinea or Naga Hills, they look so different, you're already one step ahead of... of uh... Sorry, it's very <laughs> distracting. <laughs> it is. We'll, I'll, I'll talk about that in a minute. This was just a, as a backdrop, but we'll come to some of the minutes. But, yeah, so th th there's an authenticity, but at the same time, didn't some of the Naga uh, people want to dress up for you? No. Uh, everyone in that book is as I found them. I never make people dress up. No, I thought they wanted to dress up. No, 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 no. They didn't, they didn't think much of Polaroid. They sort of, you got a, got a Polaroid on, you know. They, they used to look at the Polaroid, they used to go, mmm. And I wondered what they were doing. They're seeing if the image changed, and they'd sling it away. They it's a broken mirror. But it didn't change, so they thought it was useless. They're kind of smart. Do you understand that? <laughs> What? I think people are kind of worried about your broken inhaler, actually, more than you do. But, um, and well, it looks like a Polaroid. <laughs> <laughs> and how difficult was, in the specific case of the Naga Hills, how difficult was it to get access to people? When you were there with them, was, did there have to be a monetary exchange ever? Or, or Whatever it takes. OK, yeah, so that's Money, a yes sometimes, yeah. I, anything it takes to sort of do it, yeah. Uh, it was difficult. I couldn't, you, can, you couldn't go there. Nobody could go there, not just me. It was just, there, there's always been a war up there. Even on the other side of India, I forget, I forget what it's called. You can't go, it's come back in, that land. <laughs> Does success um, afford you greater opportunity? I mean, yeah, of course it does. Yeah, so you can. No, but some artists will say actually it becomes you become. Almost I hate a, the word artist all the time. I mean, well, you, you've, to, you've told me eight years ago that actually you hate the fact that photographers can't be in art galleries or museums. So I was using it respectfully. Oh yeah, no, but, no. I know you're being respectful, but it, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter about art. It's just what you do. I mean, it's what you. All right, but some okay. Some creative people, but I'm talking about visual artists, have said to me that they say they feel that of course they don't begrudge their own success, but that success somehow affords an expectation that can sometimes mean you can't experiment, or other times you become a victim of the facility with which you have to do things. So you have to find ways of making it more difficult. I mean, that, I, I can hear your response to that. But, but of course, you being successful would give you the opportunity of perhaps photographing almost most of the people in the world you might want to of, of a certain level of fame or celebrity, because most people would want their portrait taken by, by Bailey. But has that also given you license to do or travel or, 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 or photograph whatever you want? Or do you sometimes feel the need to escape from the visual language of David Bailey? That people say, take my portrait, but can it look like the Cray brothers? I need a white background or whatever. Well, but I wouldn't do that because I'd take the picture I want to take, not what they want to take. You know, they say it's a Bailey celebrity snapper. It couldn't be further from the truth because I'd never try and police celebrities. Celebrity snappers, I'm not going to mention their names, but they they take a picture of somebody that already looks like that. You know, like Beckham, he's, he goes back like that for 20 years. He always looks the same. When I come along and take a picture of him, he doesn't look like Beckham suddenly. He looks like an ageing football player, which is good. And he's happy with that, and I'm happy with that. But people, 
celebrity photographers build on the celebrity rather than looking at the person for the first time. Do you understand that? Mm. Good. You sure? The, I do. <laughs> uh, and I think I've still got enough energy and fight to tell you if I didn't, but it's touch and go. So, Don't get defensive. <laughs> so the, the not that. No, sorry, I keep putting the, the the image. Of, I didn't put them up. You did. I did. Yeah. It, and, and actually, it's like irritable visual irritable bowel syndrome. It's distracting us and everyone else. But the image of Marianne Faithful that we just looked back on. Actually, you know, in a minute, we'll kill, let's kill the images. But let's let, yeah, because, yeah. Yeah. But let's kill the images. Good idea. And I've and taken let, six, not and just let's, five. And let's pick. <laughs> And Benji, let's penalise him by having the image of his mugshot on the screen. No, actually, we'll leave it as it is. But, but um, Bailey, that, the, the, that image of Marianne Faithful, she, I think it's a fantastic photograph. You photographed her a number of, on a number of occasions when she was younger and, let's say, more conventionally beautiful. One of them lying on, uh, on the uh, grass in Primrose Hill. It's a wonderful photograph. But that photograph, I remember talking to her about it and she said she had real problems with it, but I think she accepted it. But... Uh, do you remember the circumstances? You, yeah, you I walked into the dressing room and there she was. I said, you look great, let's do a picture. And she said, well, like this. I said, yeah, why not? I mean, uh, it's, it's a reflection of who she is then. I mean, the other one's a reflection of what, who she was. I mean, you can't look like... If you photograph Jean now, she'd look very old. Yeah. Well, and I said that to, to Marion Faithful. I said, the thing I loved about that is you seemed not to give a... a well, I told her not to care. And I don't think she did. And I think even that, she then said later, of course she accepted it. It was just reminding her that she... She, she phoned me up and she said, do you hate me or love me? I said, well, it depends. <laughs> <laughs> God, you old romantic. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but it, that seemed to me a very honest photograph. And I love the complicity between two people, you and her, mm. who were accepting the inevitability of ageing, but still able yeah. to produce it. Well, look at my of... picture of me. Look, that's hardly a conceited picture, is it? I look like Jack the Ripper. <laughs> and you took that? Yeah. Who else has taken your photograph, aside from yourself, where you've thought, that's a really great photograph? Nobody. <laughs> Nobody. I don't like people taking my picture. Uh, because they've always got a preconceived idea of who you are. I'd prefer an amateur, someone who comes up to your street and says, let's do a snap together. I prefer that than somebody who... I don't want to go... And, you know, they come to... Some of these photographers, they don't do it anymore because I've stopped it years ago. But they come and they take about 300 Polaroids and then you see the end picture and you think, shit. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> what is that noise? Is that someone's <laughs> bad stomach? Oh, it's a baby. <laughs> Hello, baby. Do, do you, um, on reflection, having seen the, the photographs you've taken of artists and photographers, do you think there's a sense of you depicting them consciously or subconsciously in a different way to actors or models or politicians? Yeah, yeah. I don't know whether it's, uh, whether it's conscious or not. I mean, it's just I don't think about things like that. It's, uh, they're more sympathetic because they're on your side before you start. Well, an actor's worried about the way he looks, or a writer's worried he doesn't want to do it because, well, like Tony Benn, he said, yeah, take my picture, but I got to have a pipe and a mug of tea in my hands, which kind of seems silly to me, but I did it anyway, because in a way it became part of him. Like Tony Benn, I got that right, didn't I? You did, yeah. 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 But so, with, so let's talk about some of the artists you've photographed then. Um, 
I mean, Darley, there's that great photograph which we Oh, Darley was funny. He picked me up in a lift in the St Regis Hotel. I was with Jean. And he got in the lift and he had a walking stick and a propeller on top of it and two naked little dolls. I looked at him and I thought, oh, dodgy. I didn't know who it was. Thought, oh, <laughs> dodgy geezer yeah, in New York. Uh, uh, yeah. Not distinctive <laughs> looking at all, was not it? Listen, I was 20 or something, 21, 22. And uh, he said, you want to meet my mother and my sister? I said, yeah, all right. <laughs> <laughs> and he pressed the button, he said, here they are. And they span around on the repeller, his mother and, and uh, sister. And he said, uh, come, and, come and have, as with Jean, I think it was after Jean, he said, uh, come and have a, have a, a drink in our room. And that's how I met Darley. Nice man. And you took interesting photographs of him, but you said you weren't so interested in his art, but more in him. No, him. He's, he's his art, in a way. He's, yeah, yeah. He's, uh, no, he, he's a great draftsman, wasn't he? But the, uh, yeah, he, he's, uh, well, he's fantastic. I mean, he's not Picasso, but there's nobody who's Picasso. And, and Warhol has always had this kind of deadpan <laughs> visage. How was photographing him? He was all right. I was good mates with Andy. He said he wouldn't do a film with me unless I went to bed with him. So I said, oh, that's a good idea. We do all the interviews in bed together. And that's what we did. That's why I'm in bed with Andy Warhol. We should have called it in bed with Andy Warhol. Got a few more viewers. Uh, and Instead of getting banned. How intimate did you get with him? Oh, I've never been intimate with a fella. I thought about it, but... Uh, maybe if I live to 160, I'll get around to it. <laughs> Right, so we won't do a book signing off, we'll do an audition <laughs> if anyone wants to. <laughs> and, and Damien Hurst is someone that you're uh, close to and you've collaborated with yeah. and taken a, quite a lot of photographs uh, uh, too. Yeah, I've got a new one out this next week, I think. Yeah. And, and, how, and how is photographing him? I mean, he... Oh, Damien's great. Damien's one of the great guys of the world. I mean, apart from... I quite like what he does. I mean, obviously, we disagree on some things. But... I think Damien's fantastic. He's, he's probably the nicest... It sounds corny, but he's probably the nicest bloke I've ever met. I mean, he's really got a big heart. And he doesn't care about all the bullshit that goes on, all the art crap, you know. He's, he's also, you might say he can afford to be, but he's, he's very unstatus obsessed. So he's quite interested in collecting art by friends or people who interest him. Oh, he's got the biggest collection of my stuff. I, but, call, uh, I call him golden balls because everything he touch turns to gold, so I keep him away from my balls. <laughs> <laughs> but you've... Um, he not, doesn't just collect your photography, he collects collages and... Uh, paintings. Paintings, and yeah. yeah. And you've always made art. Yeah. I still do. I might show them. I might have a show at Sainsbury's, is it Sainsbury's? The Sainsbury's Centre. I'm putting some of my paintings in as well. I thought it'd be interesting, really. Because it's only you lot that judge it, and I don't give a shit what you lot think. <laughs> it, yeah, I love the fact that I'm lumped in with that lot, but I'm fine. I'll, 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 I'll... Well, you're part of the art world. Oh, come on, you're the pinnacle I... of the art world. I mean, I what's a better on... job than you've got? Look, I'm sitting around here talking wadbury. <laughs> <laughs> 
With you. With me, yeah. yeah. I mean, so we, if we get the Sainsbury Centre show, that will obviously be the third show in, in your career. But that's, not, that's not a government. That's a OK, that thing. doesn't count no, either. That okay. doesn't count either. So, so Gilbert and George, there's a, there is an interesting parallel. that they, Even though they've shown in the British Pavilion in Venice, they've had the biggest show by a single artist, although there's two people, one artist, in uh, Tate Modern. They always say, no, no, we're not part of the establishment. Then they laugh and say, well, and then I say, well, you've had these shows. And they'll say, well, we're, um, we're only part of the establishment for as long as the show. They also, though, do occasionally concede that they might need to feel that the establishment's against them. It might be a motivation. How would you plead to the accusation that the idea that you're not loved by the art world, that people aren't interested in you, that it's us lot against you? I mean, is that part of the, the, the way you've always been, therefore you're not going to back down on that, if I'm throwing you onto the psychoanalyst couch? No, you're not. It's not. It's just common sense. Uh, no. I just do what I do, and if you don't like it, you don't like it, and if you like it, you like it, and then we can be friends. We can be friends if you don't like it. I don't mind. The, uh, couldn't care less, to be honest. What about other photographers? Um, when oh, I don't like most photographers. Which photographers, which photographers influenced you, and which ones do you still admire? Bill Brandt and Penn. They're uh, the two best. Cartier Bresson was such a nasty man, but he was a good photographer. Uh, yeah, no. Brassai? Uh, oh, I like Brassai. He's a nice man as well. He, uh, he had that look, that stare, didn't he? He was, he's, he, he was a really nice man. He was nice to me. You took a great photograph of him. Yeah, no, he's good. One eye. Was that Brassai? I think. Or was it Bresson? I don't know. Oh, no, that was Bresson, Cartier was, Bresson. Yeah, it was yeah. Bresson. The, how did the one eye idea come out, come about? It was Casso. You mean all my vogue covers and that? And that was... Yeah, but, no, but the idea of portraying, a, I mean, it's a, such a potent idea that, you know, the, a photographer like what, Brassel, Cartier Bresson, Bresson in this case, is, you know, we, we revere the artist's eye, the photographer's eye. But how did, how was he? I think he made a book of eyes, didn't he? Yeah, uh, but how was he, you, you, did you have to say to him, I want to photograph your, uh, your eye? No, of course you... not, no. I mean, no, don't discuss it. You just do it? Just do it, yeah. If you start discussing it, you get into sort of an intellectual conversation that's bullshit. <laughs> and, how, and how were, was he, and how were other photographers, did they ever give you feedback or say what they thought about your work? I know you wouldn't care what they said, but did they ever give you feedback on your own photography? I think, I think they were all much older than me, so they thought I was a... Uh, arrogant probably thought I was an arrogant arsehole, which I probably was. But the, uh, no, they, they didn't discuss it, but they were all, they were all, uh, they were all quite old, weren't they? Man Ray and Cartier Bresson, they're all, they had time to get it right. Don McCullen's speaking here next Friday. Um, do you have any um, suggestions for the audience who might come to that, what they might ask him? What would you ask Don if you were doing a conversation with him? What do I ask Don? Uh, I don't know. I always bump into him and John Lewis. <laughs> I mean, not in, not in, not in Afghanistan or, or, or uh, a nursery or wherever. This is <laughs> always in John Lewis. I bumped into him twice in John Lewis. He said to me, what are you doing here? I said, I could ask the same question. <laughs> At least we won't get shot in John Lewis. <laughs> But I've never bumped into him in anywhere I've been, and I've been to all those places, but never seen Don there. What about younger photographers? 
Well, I think it takes a long time to be a photographer. It's very rare. There's one young one I like. What's the name of the one I like, the young one? Uh, Tim Walker. I think Tim Walker's really good. He's the first one I've seen for years that I think is good. Uh, Do you feel an influence? Can you trace in, 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 no, influences no, you've had? No, everything. Every day is an influence. You steal every day. Every day you see images, you see that. You think, oh, that's kind of odd. But if you, that drip there is kind of adds to it. Whereas you'd never put that drip of water next to the bottle, but it actually makes the picture in a way. Yeah. But, so all the time you're trying to steal things everywhere you go. It's kind of everything, I think, completely in pictures. I mean, already you're a picture. I'm beginning to see the people now. There are some people here. <laughs> That's the eye adjusts, indeed. Yeah. I asked you, only semi-flippantly, um, when we did a, 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 an interview for radio, um, what about... The radio? Like, Nobody says radio, do they? Well, what else? They say radio? Wireless. Well, wireless. Yeah. <laughs> no, it wasn't for the wireless, it was for Radio 4. <laughs> um, and I asked you about legacy and how... Uh, I mean, you know, you're, you're only just uh, reaching uh, artistic maturity. In fact, some would say, on the basis of the talk we've just done, that maturity is quite a long way off. But, but, um, but, <laughs> but anyway... Uh, 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 <laughs> you've reached it, so you can tell me about it. <laughs> but... The, so as you hit 81, it's a reasonable question about legacy. And well, I'm not quite 81. OK. Three or four months away. OK. Give or take. But I, I feel like it's you feel 61. Like, and you, yeah, and I think creatively, it, there's a kind of timelessness. 51. All right, we'll keep going back. <laughs> but anyway, when I asked you about legacy, how would you like to be remembered in decades to come? You said, you waited and you said, um, as a lover, and then I said, and how do you think you will be remembered? And you went, as a lover. So it's a kind of genius, genius remark. Now, I'm going to give you a chance now in front of this audience that you've now seen him. Um, no, but to talk a little about legacy, because I, I know you're thinking about it to a certain extent. There may be things you don't want to talk about. But are you now shifting in the way that you might want posterity to look at what the subject Yeah, and go with the done? flow. Yeah. And other people are looking. Okay. So I'm happy to go along with it. As long as they do all the work. But there are plans afoot for you to think more seriously and formally about how... Yeah. Yeah. Why not? OK. And we leave it at that? We don't make any announcements about what you're planning? That comes later? Yeah. Right. On which futuristic and, I suppose, characteristically um, acerbic note we should end? We've r r run out of time. Um, you say you don't care, Bailey, and in many... What do you mean? I don't say I don't care. I do care. No, well, okay, that was my point. You say... You no, but care. you put that into my... All right. It's not, I've never said one, once in this hour, I've never said I don't care. Well, it's great to end on the same note of the, to the tone of the entire <laughs> talk, isn't it? <laughs> what I was going to say, if I could just finish, was that you say you don't care about what people think about you, and that may or may not be true, but it's clear you care deeply about uh, aspects of the creative world that you've inhabited so brilliantly for the last 40, 50 years, and there's a few more decades to 60. come. 60. And a few more decades to come, and um, good luck to James Fox, we're looking forward to that book. <laughs> and uh, we have, well, next time there's an, 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 another Bailey publication, we're going to try and coerce you to come to this snooty institution, but thank you for gracing us with the presence, it's always a pleasure. It's a great room. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this podcast, have a look at what else is coming up in our brand new lecture theatre at roy.ac forward slash what's on. <laughs>